0: desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be in the world's time zones, each and every one covered like a blanket by this program, Midnight in the Desert. I'm Art Bell. Great to be here. It's going to be a very, very good night tonight. There is Roswell, and then there is Rendlesham. Or maybe I should have said there's Rendlesham, and then there's Roswell, and then there's everything else. Tonight you'll meet the man who was the most involved at Rendlesham. So that'll be coming up. It's John Burroughs, and you're not going to want to miss it, trust me. All right, so the rules of the program, simple, uh, no bad language, one call per show. That's it. Those are the rules. And White Crow, it's coordinates, plus one. Listen, everybody, I've got a new public page. Now, that is a kind of a pretty cool place because I can have more than 5,000 friends, associates, fellow travelers, whatever you call yourselves, and so you should immediately go to that. Now, you can get there by going to my regular Facebook page and or, I suppose you could look it up, it would uh, it would come up as ArtBell51. Pretty cool, actually, because that mirrors my Twitter account, ArtBell51. Anyway, it's a new public page. It's going to be the center of a whole lot real soon. There will be information. So you want to get there. Go to my old page, click on one of the links, go to Art Bell 51 whatever. And don't forget, if you are not yet a time traveler with us, what in the world are you waiting for? It gives you the ability to listen to all the old programs, the ones we have done thus far, as well as each new one each night. So if you're stuck for a little time, you can download... You know, the RSS feeds, download, boom, like that. If you've got a, even a half-decent internet, they are fast. And then you've got minus commercials and all the music and everything, probably about two hours and 20 minutes of pure d entertainment. So it's worth it from that point of view. And, of course, the wormhole lets you send messages during the program for me and or the guest. Well, the fallout from the... Debates is over, the apparent victor, Carly Fiorina. And so she has gone from being the apparent victor to the apparent recipient of money. (laughs) That's how it works in politics, right? Money. If you are perceived as, ooh, you did well, maybe you're a winner, let's give that person money. And then we will have influence. Now I I don't say that uh, just to Carly, but you know it's true of all of them, right? Give me money and you will have influence. You heard about the um, uh, the big earthquake, right? Horrible in Chile. We still don't know really how horrible, but there are about eleven dead. Should have been a lot more for something this size, you know, an eight plus earthquake. Uh, there were small tsunamis, fishing nets tangled in trees, and again, 11 dead, but you know, it should have been much worse. Uh, there was a very tiny amount of havoc, actually, for such a powerful quake. And a quick word about dolphins. I, This lady, researcher Susan Casey, who I really want to talk to, uh, thinks that Dolphins have a collective consciousness. Isn't that interesting? Now, dolphin brains are bigger than ours. They may, in fact, be more intelligent than human beings in certain ways, in ways that, of course, we don't necessarily understand. But I have always thought this of dolphins. Dolphins frequently save humans. They drive predators away from humans. That is a thought. I don't think that's an instinct. That is a thought. They care about human beings. The day will come, perhaps not while I am alive, but I promise you we will begin to form a new attitude toward animals. And we will treat them differently as we learn. Or maybe most of us will try and stay in blissful ignorance in favor of quarter-pounders, which, by the way, I love. (laughs) Pretty bad, huh? So, as I said at the beginning of the show, top of the show, you know, there's Rendlesham, there's Roswell, and then there's, like everything else. So, I guess the main character, the character most in the middle of everything, was John Burroughs. He's here tonight. He was born in Bloomington, Illinois, back in 1960, joined the U.S. Air Force right after high school graduation. Yay, Air Force. Received orders to go to RAF uh, Bentwaters, England, arrived there in 79, 18 months before the strange encounter in the Rendlesham Forest. That was between RAF Bentwaters and nearby RAF Woodbridge. During that time, John worked as an Air Force police officer, AP, actually, says nothing strange ever happened, that is, until midnight, December 26th of 1980. Now, John Burroughs' account of Rendlesham has been featured worldwide. It's been on a number of TV and radio networks. On December 26th and 28th of 1980, an account uh, by John, as the only witness involved with both nights of the investigation of a craft of unknown origin adjacent to the east gate of RAF Woodbridge. Mr. Burroughs will discuss the pursuit, investigation, findings, and aftermath of the report. This is indeed the military's best documented and most witness case. In, in history. It's that simple. So coming up, John Burroughs, and this time we'll...
1: From today into tomorrow, this is Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell. To call the show, dial 1952. Call Art. That's 1952 225 5278. All right, here we go.
0: I've been waiting some time for this, actually. Welcome uh, to the program, John Burroughs. Thank you, Art. Um, I was also Air Force, so really happy to have you on the program, John. Um, you know, as I said, and I, I think I'm right, there's Rendlesham, there's Roswell, and then there's like everything else out there. So this is a monster of a case. Um, I, I guess I would ask you to take me through it in detail uh, from your first awareness of it or where you want to start and through the entire affair so that everybody understands what really happened.
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. It started on uh, early in the morning of December 26th. We we came on duty at 11 o'clock, 2300 um, on the 25th, and about 0300 on the uh, morning of the 26th was his Boxing Day in the UK of 1980, I was riding around uh, with my supervisor who had met up with me about a half an hour prior. wanted to ride around and talk for a little bit. It was just, you know, Christmas night into Boxing Day morning. As we were driving down to check the East Gate, which is, you know, at the east end of the, the perimeter of Woodbridge Base, he saw something that he later said it didn't crash, it landed, come down out of the sky and it appeared to land in the forest. Okay, so you
0: didn't you didn't actually see land. He did.
2: Not not at the beginning, no.
0: Okay, did I did, all right, not. I did all right. not
2: see it. And he got my attention and he told me to look out you know, out in that direction. Um I'd been there, you know, almost two years. He had just gotten there. So I'd been down there at night during alerts and other things, you know, when it was dark like that and everything else. And he first thing he wanted to know for me was, Well, have you ever seen anything like that before? And you know, at that point, I could see something in the forest itself, like there it was kind of lit up white lights, um, as I just tried to describe over the years. It almost looked like a Christmas light display, different coloring lighting, and everything else that was down in the forest itself. So we went ahead and went down to the gate. Um, he was a very conservative guy, so we kind of now. I back ask you a quick question. Uh, sure. Your, was that your boss? Yeah, he was my boss. He was your boss, right. He was my supervisor. Uh, What
0: rank were you, John?
2: I was uh, E3, Airman First Class, and he was an E5 Staff Uh, Sergeant.
0: But I was too, Airman First Class. All right, and he was Staff Sergeant. Okay, got it. Continue.
2: So we decided, both of us, that there was something that wasn't right out there, but it was off base, and what did we want to do with it? So we came together and decided, well, we'll go down to the end of the road, so we're going to have to leave the base. We opened up the gate. And we drove down to the end of the road before you would turn left to Bentwaters or right would take you to one of the small towns down the road. So we went ahead and went down to the end of the road. There was a way you could turn the car back around and he turned it around as such. So we were starting to go back towards the road that led up to the gate. Right. I jumped out of the vehicle and I looked out into the forest. Um, I I don't know how to explain it other than it just didn't seem right. It just we all of a sudden it was like we were vulnerable. We were sitting out there off base. The 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 lights were there. And at one point it almost looked like it. This all happened really quickly. Like maybe it was starting to come towards us. There was like a static electricity in the air, mm-hmm. and it just didn't seem right. And here we were off the base, hadn't told anybody, and we didn't know what was going to happen next. So I jumped back in the vehicle and we took off back up to the gate, drove as fast as we could back up to the gate, went up, there's a gate shack up there. Went up to the gate shack, parked the vehicle, and then we decided we better call it in. So went ahead and got on the phone. Uh the phone went to the law enforcement desk. So I got the desk sergeant on the phone and they told him that there was something strange just outside the, you know, the uh east gate, you know, at Woodbridge that was out in the forest and we can't explain it. We wanted to report it and it was Christmas night, and you know, to Boxing Day morning, uh, I played practical jokes over the last year on the Death Sergeant himself. He he kind of didn't want to believe me, <laughs> and we we, we kind of went back and forth a little bit. Even S- Sergeant Steffens got on and told him there was something strange going on, and again I would pull some jokes on him, so he was a little leery to bite for it. So what he did was transfer me to CSC, which is Central Security Control, which was the security side of the house where they took care of the airplanes and stuff like that and got the controller on the phone and told him that there was something strange out in the forest. We couldn't explain it, um, that we wanted to notify, you know, the shift commander of what was going on. So they went ahead and they started, they found him, started talking to him behind the scenes. And at the same time, they notified the security supervisor at Woodbridge, which would have been Sergeant Peniston, that he needed to respond down to the East gate and to check out what we were dealing with. At least by now they're buying your story. Well, right. They, I mean, by that point I kept it going. So they, they had a funny feeling something was going on. Mm-hmm. So went ahead and Sergeant Peniston came down to the gate. When he got down to the gate, you know, he met with Sergeant Steffens, who was the ranking law enforcement guy. He gave him a quick synopsis of what's going on. They both were, they could both still see the lights in the forest. They were still there. And, um, can you, point, can you describe,
0: John, what, you know, from that distance, what they looked like? I mean, was it a soft glow you were seeing? Could you see distinct lights? Or was it just sort of a blur? I mean, what were your eyes seeing?
2: It Have, was like, sometimes it was a soft glow, sometimes it was more. The white light would get brighter. And at one point, while we we're standing at the gate, the white light itself seemed to almost come to the edge of the forest to where the road was. Hmm. And within the white light, and it even looked a little like orangish or huish, there was different colored lighting in it, which would have been red, blue, and green. And I, I always tried early on to describe it. It looked like some kind of Christmas light display. It was strange. You said so, when you were close
0: to it that you felt something like an electrostatic charge. I, yes.
2: When we got when we first went down and left the base, when I got out of the vehicle, the, the, the hair on the back of my head stood up, and there was like an electric charge, and he could feel it inside the vehicle itself. In other words, immediately it was like, oh, let's get out of here. Let's get back up here and <laughs> report what's going on.
0: Yeah, it's a queasy feeling. Uh, it really is. It's uh, like lightning about to strike or something high voltage about to happen. Yeah, I know the feeling.
2: Right. So, so back to go. Pen- I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Go ahead. So I'm passing, got on the phone. Um, by this time, the wheels were turning. Um, uh, they were starting to make contact because of the fact that Sergeant Steffens reported something up in the sky coming down. They immediately started contacting radar RAPCON, which would have been on the base. This is some of the stuff I found out after the fact, you know, you put the pieces together over the years, but they started reaching out to our base radar, which then they also reached out to Eastern radar and to even Heathrow. So he gave a description of what was going on. They, were able to verify through radar that something was out up over in that area over the forest and disappeared on radar. So, and this has always been an interesting point that gets overlooked, it was off base. There was no immediate threat to the base itself. Okay, once again, you're saying
0: they observed it incoming, and they could tell, um, I, I don't know how well the radar pins it down, but, I mean, that's very close to the radar, so... They, they knew the distance. They knew how close it was to the base.
2: Right. Colonel Hall, over the years, has talked to the radar people, and they actually saw it streak across at one point and stuff like that. But what the data we got that evening was that they did observe something on radar just outside the base over the forest, okay? Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was there, and then it disappeared like it went down. You know, it didn't disappear like it took off up into the sky. It looked like it went down into the forest.
0: Out of radar range. Yes, right, right. Got it.
2: So, and that's what people need to understand. And and it's kind of a bit of a missed point. There was no reason for us to go off base. Okay. It wasn't an immediate threat to the base. We could see it in the forest. There was no hostile threat. But here was the catch-all. Because they did notify the British police, they did notify the British Fire Department, but because it was close to the base, the fact that there had been radar contact, they felt that maybe something had crashed. Now, it wasn't being labeled as aliens or UFOs at that point, but there was some kind of object that may have went down and crashed into the forest area.
0: Well, look, it seems to me that if something came down that close to the base, it was observed on radar, that then you almost, it seems to me, had a duty... Uh, to find out what the hell it was.
2: No, I agree, but that, that's a catch all point that people feel that I kind of overlook. We didn't just go out there to go out there. There was something there that, that we, in other words, if all we saw was lights outside the perimeter fencing, they wouldn't have sent us out. But because there was radar contact, that was the defining point of why the shift commander authorized us to leave the base to include gotcha. contacting the command post and certain people were notified of what was going on. Gotcha. There had to be more than just the fact that we saw strange lights out there for us to go out into the forest in the first place. Right. Uh, no, I'm with you all the way. Right. So at that point, a decision was made that there would be three of us to go out there. Now, there were two security guys, Sergeant Peniston and his rider, and myself that ended up going out. Now, we left our weapons with Sergeant Steffens up at the gate because we were going off base. Right. You know, um, we went ahead and departed the gate as we were going down the road we got to the end of the road again and we made a right okay we could see we could see the lighting in the forest i mean it, like i said it played games with us sometimes it seemed like it was coming towards us sometimes it seemed like it moved back sometimes it was up and up in the trees a little bit sometimes it seemed to be low to the ground so we tried to get into the forest you know find an area to get into the forest to get back towards where we thought it was we went ahead and went down and we found a, a, a track road, a forest road that led into the forest. We made a left and we went down the road, okay, as far as we could go. Right. Now, there was a fence there that kept us from going any farther. The road was not our paved road, it was just, you know, a, a forest track road. It stopped us. At that point in time, we got out of the vehicle, we went up over the first fence. And we started going into the forest, deeper into the forest on foot. We spread out like in a line formation. So our was to the front. I was more in the center. And Airman Kabansack was more behind me to my right, mm-hmm. like in almost in like a staggered line formation. Okay. Um we went moved out to the forest. Um at, at points it seemed like it was playing with this, whatever it was. It, it we would seem like we were getting close to it, then it was not there. But finally, um we went I can't tell you how far, but we went a little bit of a distance, and at that point, we came like up a berm, and down, as we came down, down this berm into almost a small clearing. Now, there were still trees there and stuff, but there was a little bit of an opening in this tree area. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: All of a sudden, there, whatever it was, was there, and... And there's there's a there's a big difference in what Sergeant Peniston saw, what I saw, and what Herman Kabansak remembers.
0: Well, I've got you. You're the eyewitness. What right. Did well, you, do you
2: want me to go over? I, wanna, I Well, I, first I want to know what you saw. Okay. What I saw was what I drew in my statement. Okay. It was like a red oval object. Okay. Um, it had a orange orangish glow like around it. Okay. There was some blue light scattered within it, and then it was like a white light that was the bright light around it. And as we got close to it, the bright light lit up. We all hit the ground. <laughs> yeah. Okay? And then all I can remember after that was then it seemed to dim. It went up into the sky, and it shot back away from
0: us. Was there ever, uh, John, anything that went, went beyond... Light, was there ever any substance anybody could make or you could make out at all, or just light A variance? Yes,
2: there, there was. That's when I said that the, the three of us that were close to this all had a different interpretation of what we saw. Okay. Um, Sergeant Penniston um, remembers this. He actually got up after we hit the ground, went towards it, The light, as the lights dimmed, he saw a triangular object, okay?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And within the triangular object, he was able to walk around it, and he was able to touch it, and there was glyphs on it. And, and when he touched the glyphs, he had some kind of download from it. So he remembers it as, more in depth as far as being a triangular object with glyphs and everything else.
0: You're aware of the uh, the recent statements uh, that the code that was uh, uploaded or downloaded to him uh, is remembered bit for bit?
2: Yes, yes. There was. He wrote out a certain amount of pages after the event, right after the event, and they, they did surface in 2010 from within his notebook, and they were deciphered and there was a message and there were some coordinate sites within it also are are
0: you free to discuss the message and the coordinates
2: um i don't have it right in front of me but it had to do with mankind itself mm-hmm. there were seven locations um three of them in the western side of the world three on the other side over in the european area egypt uh china and in Greece, and then the, the three in the, uh, the northern hemisphere, where there would be, um, be one in Central America, one in South America, and, and one in Arizona, in the southwest in Arizona.
0: John, do you recall his making that walk toward the object?
2: No. I have no memory from the time it, the lights got bright until they, until they dimmed and the object went away. No memory at all? No, no memory of any of that, seeing any of him having any of that or any of that happening.
0: Do you have any thoughts on why so much time went by uh, between the event and uh, the notebook?
2: Well, it, it, I'll go into this. and it, It's something that has just surfaced now in the last couple weeks or three weeks that kind of reinforced the fact that there was a notebook and some of this happened. Sure. Um, The interesting thing was that after the event, after the three days, there was three nights of events. When I met with him on Sunday night, because we rode together to work, he talked about something was bugging him and he couldn't shake it. And it would be something that if he talked about it would get him in trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, He also did some hypnosis in I believe the mid nineties and in it, in the hypnosis, it comes out that there was a binary download. It comes out under hypnosis. Okay. But the third piece of this puzzle that's kind of mind blowing to me is that the CIA declassified some documents in 2000, but within these documents, there was a remote view done by Lynn Buchanan. And this remote view was done in 1986 prior to jim and i going public and very little had been said about the incident and the part of it some of it's missing um but
0: john hold, hold that thought Sure. Um, cia will come right back to it uh, my guess is john burroughs uh, the only man there for each night of the events
1: in the desert doesn't screen calls. We trust you, but remember the NSA. Well, you know. To call the show, please dial 1-952-225-5278. That's 1-952-CALL-ART. The
0: subject is Rendlesham, probably the military's best documented, uh, most witness case in all history. John Burroughs is here. He was there each night of the the event and uh, we were talking about the uh uh, actually the cia uh when we left and there there is one quick question before we get back to that uh john when somebody when you approach something like that and you're and you have no memory uh past a certain point and now i'm asking you what i'm going to ask you is sort of a if you can search your own mind and you you can recall I mean is it like is it like a a wall suddenly came down in your mind I'm sure you've thought of this a billion times trying to figure out when your memory went and how it went or was it a slow fade or like that what what can you remember of the moment that you began not remembering? That's a hard question.
2: No, that that that's a fair question. Um I would say early on I didn't spend much time on it. Um right. we got debriefed, we got told to let it go. If there was anything more they needed from us, let it go. Um a lot of the stuff that's come up over the years, going back and trying to remember it, I don't remember, but I I've never had a memory of any of other than getting close to it twice. Um, I know the second time I got close to it, it really bothered me more than the first time, but the first time it didn't come clear to what happened with what Pennison remembered till later on when he came out and started talking about some of it, which I couldn't remember. But then you can go back to the third night, when I was out there, I got close to it again. The same exact thing happened to me on the third night, that the first night. I got close to it. The next thing you know, it was gone, whatever it was.
0: Okay, but you don't remember the moment of the blackout, essentially. It, it is a blackout, really. Have you ever thought of doing hypnosis
2: yourself? Oh, yeah. There's been hypnosis done, and it, there's a lot of stuff that comes out under hypnosis. Oh? Yes, a lot of stuff.
0: Um, like
2: What? Well, there definitely was an interaction um, that, you know, I mean, it it would take at least half an hour to go into all of it. Do you want to go into that now? Do you want to finish the CIA stuff first? Well,
0: let's finish that, and then let's not forget to come back to it, because I really do want to hear it. I I want to hear what else hypnosis brought out. You bet.
2: Okay. All right. Well, where I was at was that the interesting part, and, and I totally understand why people question the notebook some of the stuff that Jim's talked about. Right. I mean, it didn't come out. The notebook itself, the first time I heard of it was, I think right around 2000, that would have been the 20 year anniversary. And he did a sci-fi piece with Brian Gumble, and the notebook came out. The glyphs came out. Okay. Then 10 years after that, when we were getting ready to do the 30th anniversary, the code showed up, but here's something that you can't discredit. Okay. In 1986, A remote view was done by Lynn Buchanan, and Ed Dames was the facilitator of it, okay? And there was other, there was follow-up remote views done afterwards, too. What he, the report that was released by the CIA, when I say CIA, was declassified in a bunch of documents, but this was found within these documents, a lot of what he talks about in that remote view in 1986, way before Peniston talked about any of this, or even some of the stuff that I talked about it hadn't come out. I hadn't gone public yet either. He confirms it in the remote view. Now, how is that possible? Actually, um, when,
0: when you say confirmed it, uh, what kind of detail?
2: What he he, remember, he he actually saw an object or a craft. He actually could go around it. He could, he saw the glyphs, the, the raised things. He touched the glyphs. There was appeared to be some kind of like communications of what happened between the glyphs and him. The actual object itself, uh, how it felt, the smoothness, what Pennison describes after, you know, years later, smooth, black, and everything else. Now this is a remote view that was done, you know, by. Lynn Buchanan way before any of this stuff was on the public domain.
0: Interesting. Well, now
2: how could that be? How could it be? Um, I, I have no idea. That's my whole point. This just, this throws another wrench in the whole Reynolds from case because they were doing this matter of fact, a piece of the, um, report disappeared. He admitted to that. There was part of it's not there. Um, he at one point felt there was E T presence there, but it wasn't in the crap, but it was from somewhere else. Which is what Colonel Halda said. Right. Okay. So and this was in nineteen eighty six and I, you know, he did this way before any of this became public knowledge.
0: Right. I I have no clue. I, I'm but I have you. And um right. I am particularly interested in what under hypnosis um, has come out that, you, I mean, obviously you say your your conscious memory went gone. Right. Um, so let's talk about hypnosis.
2: Sure. And I always like to make this clear, okay? There's a difference between what I remember and hypnosis. And I'm not saying I don't believe in hypnosis, but there's a lot of people out there to discredit it. So I want to make it clear. I've told you what I remember getting up to it close the first time. Now we'll tell you what hypnosis. Is.
0: Under what circumstances did you agree hypnosis.
2: Well, that's another whole crazy story in itself. Um, do you remember back in the 90s when they were going to do that UFO cover-up live show? Yes. Okay, I was asked, I just got out of active duty, and I was asked by the producer of the show and executive producer, Kurt Brubaker, to do, uh, to maybe go on the show. So I met with them. Then this whole thing came up about, not the first night, because that wasn't in Hadn't come out yet, but what happened on the third night when I was running towards it with Adrian Bustenza? So we finally went got around to the point where they convinced me, why not go into hypnosis just to see if anything comes out? Not, on, not on camera.
0: Not, not on camera.
2: Right? No, okay. well, it was. It was recorded. Yes, yeah, the whole okay. thing was recorded. All right. Okay. So I, I reluctantly agreed to it. Find out later on, Bob Emmenager was behind this and that whole group of that, and actually ended up getting shopped around to the intelligence agencies to include some other people in SRI. Mm. But ultimately, I go under hypnosis, and I remember going into it, Um, uh, the, that it was actually the life form itself. Going into it, you mean? Going into the, the life form, whatever it
0: is. Going into the life form.
2: Yes. Would the you- actual energy field... Or whatever it was okay. that we got close to right. was the life form itself.
0: okay got it got
2: you and it was able to communicate with us telepathically to include the fact that when I met up with Colonel Halt before Adrian and I went forward that there was a telepathic communications between Colonel Halt and whatever this was and the fact was that it actually Halt felt that I needed to go out there because it wanted me to go out there to meet back up with it for the second time Oh. This wow. all comes out under hypnosis, and I, I reiterate, this was hypnosis. Now.
0: Okay. Uh, no, that's fine. I really want to know what came out. Uh, did you, by the way, when you got, when you were hypnotized, did you really feel you were under? Do you recall the experience?
2: Oh, I. I. That's the thing. I, I. I. The. The whole thing's taped, but I went out. They couldn't get me under at first, and this guy did something that finally put me under, and I was out cold. And there was a communications. This is where it gets really crazy, but it was like channeling where at some one point we were back there and communicating with whatever it was. And I don't remember any of this. And when I came out of the hypnosis, it did nothing to my memory. To make me remember anymore, I didn't remember it afterwards. You know what I mean? Yes, I, I back, do. Go, oh, I, I well, do. Now I know. I that didn't happen.
0: I do. So, um, they, did they inquire of the nature of the communication? I would imagine.
2: Um, yeah, they. It was. It was there to observe us. It will be back. Um, that there are things going on in this earth that are very dangerous, and down the line, when when certain things happen. They will be back, and then they'll go forward from there. That's basically the communications.
0: So um, dangerous things for the earth.
2: Right, and it was strange because you would think right away everybody hopped on the nuclear part of it, and whatever this was says, oh, it's way past the nuclear part.
0: It probably is.
2: Nuclear weapons are not a concern of theirs. Whatever we're doing else we're doing is the concern that we'll eventually we'll get to that point where they'll have to come in and do something about it.
0: Well, I'm personally a little concerned about nuclear weapons. But uh, beyond that, I can see that there would be danger for those of us living on this earth uh, and not very far down the line, either at the rate we're going. So that part of it uh, certainly makes sense.
2: Well, I hate to say this, but... Based off the hypnosis, which was done in 88, we're coming into that time frame right now.
0: It feels like it. Right. I can't
2: disagree with that. But it's the fact. Okay. And the other fact that's very, very, very confusing or disturbing to me was things came up at that point in 88. Like Mars was brought into the picture, some of this other stuff was brought into the picture. And back in 88, people rolled their eyes, little green men in Mars. Well, now look at all the data that's coming out. that could tie into Mars and some other stuff. And at the time in 88, everybody was looking. But the interesting thing was I was involved with some people that were in engineering. And it appeared to me on the surface at the time, and I've confirmed it later, they were definitely interested in whatever it was for the technical part of it. Mm -hmm. And they were working hard to understand it and to be able to use it. And one of the questions was the ability, how... How much time would it take or whatever, I can't remember exactly, it's been a while since I watched it, but it was the travel time between Mars and Earth, and when they asked this thing, it gave the exact data correctly. They were blown away by it, and they confirmed it, but I gave the exact, I gave, it was, that was the point when I was channeling, I was able to give them the exact travel time it would take to get from When
0: you were able to see this video later, and you heard yourself give that answer, and knew it was a confirmed correct answer, it must have blown you away.
2: Well, yeah, I did, And, and, and not only that, when I came out of it, everybody was looking at me like I was... I don't know how to explain it, but they were almost like scared of me. Well, should we kneel down before him or run? It's something along those lines. And, and the <laughs> other scary part about it was that whatever it was, was going to be coming back for me for a reason. It didn't give the reason, but I would be at some point in time in the future, it would be back for me directly. Mm. This is all that came out in hypnosis, Art.
0: Alright, well, you know, some people turn their heads away from what's going on on Earth, but right now, The Arctic waters are melting. We're beginning to enter into a new Cold War phase with Russia, which is going to dominate those Arctic waters. There is going to be new navigation that will um, uh, make the Panama Canal no longer so important. Um, The world is changing really, really quickly. These are not changes that you expect to see in one lifetime. These are changes that I don't know, somehow we think of as occurring over many hundreds of years, thousands of years, Uh, but it's happening very fast, John, so maybe their warnings were were spot on.
2: It could very well be, and then I want to go, because all this stuff has surfaced over the years. But then when you start finding these declassified documents, it's to support some of this. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 like I said, now the remote view just surfaced. There's a lot of stuff that over the years that I've worked on that support cool. the hypnosis, support cool. some of what Sergeant Peniston said. Right. And and not only that, but even the fact that I just recently was awarded a settlement from the VA that I was injured in the line of duty in Reynolds from Forest by whatever we encountered.
3: Yeah,
0: this is one hell of a story all by itself, right? Yes, it is. How this progressed. Um, after all of this happened, you were, were you treated um, medically?
2: No, none of us were. And, and there's not just me that's had some medical issues either. There's been some other people that have had different problems also that I'm trying to help right now. So it wasn't just me that that had medical issues. Right. But your medical issues
0: are so, so interesting uh, because it bears on the whole
2: event. Yeah, it does. And how, what exactly caused my problems surfaced through the CIA. And they actually helped keep me alive, if you can believe that or not. I can believe it.
0: Um, so, you know, not everybody in the CIA is bad. It's full of good people doing a tough job. Right. Uh, All right. So let's go down the health, uh, road for a bit here. Okay. What happened to your health?
2: Right after the incident, I didn't feel good. I mean, and it wasn't something that I connected immediately to right. the incident, because first of all, I, people have to understand, I was an E3, everyone first class, I was at the low end of the totem pole in the food chain, mm-hmm. the, there was a lot of high-ranking people who were out there, and I was told to let it go, and I let it go, but I right afterwards, I started having throat, eyes, my gums actually turned white, and then a few months later, when I didn't feel right, it was a civilian doctor that found it, because I was home back in the States, On my time off, and I got so sick, I went into the uh, emergency room because I had to because I couldn't get back to the base in time, and they found a heart murmur. And the interesting thing is the fact that I could never have joined the Air Force without
0: without a heart murmur. murmur. Of course.
2: And they found it, I mean, within months after the incident, they found this heart murmur which then leads down years later.
0: Did you, at that time, mention to the medical people that it
2: might be connected to what happened? Absolutely not. I was told over there, in no circumstances, to not talk about it. Not talk about it, yeah. Not to let it go. And I'm not even going to tell you that I totally put this together there was things that happened after that like when i went in when my eyes started acting up and the first thing the doctor asked me was have you been exposed to radiation right and i'm looking at him like well not that i'm really aware of mm-hmm. but you know it was years after that all the pieces came together to bring this back to that what we were exposed to caused these difficulties
0: when did you learn what you were exposed to
2: well, as much as I can tell you, it appears to be terahertz radiation. I learned it right before I was near death, is what it came down to. My my valve was, the civilian doctors, to go back in time a little bit, the civilian doctors when I got sick started having AFib and congestive heart failure couldn't understand why I was having that problem. There just wasn't anything there. There was no heart disease or anything else other than the murmur was there. but what they were looking at and the data you know the medical data that supports it doesn 't support the extreme problems that I was having, so they asked me to contact the military to get my medical records so they could look at it when I first started having the problem sure and that 's when everything got crazy because it came down to the fact they wouldn 't give them to me. I went to senator Kyle 's office, they inquired for my medical and service records, they got told they weren 't where they belonged then She went back and told me to file for disability. This is before I got really sick. And they would then inquire because she felt my medical records were classified. And this is all in writing. So when people come back and say, I can't support this, I can't. I'm sorry, the the initial reaction was they could not find them? Well, first they said they weren't where they belonged. That's called lost. Okay, well <laughs> yeah, but what it came down to was she was smart enough to know because she had dealt with stuff with Agent Orange and stuff, that isn't what was really the case.
0: I hear what that. they
2: were were where they were classified. Right. So what she did was was force their hand when I filed disability to have them start admitting to what was going on. Well, they were stalling her because Kyle was getting ready to retire. So I got a letter from her well, actually, I met with her first, and she told me that she knows something happened to me. I probably will never find out what happened to me, but that they were going to give me the medical care that I deserved. Well, they stalled them long enough that Kyle retired, so she, they kicked it over to Senator McCain's office. And that's where it really got interesting as far as the whole thing, even to the point where they altered my DD Form 214. They actually altered they my DD-214 and really? said I wasn't in the Air Force in 1979. Excuse me? Yes. Um. In in what... <laughs> Alright, we're going to pick up right there. We're, That's we're, why I figured i gave you a second because I saw the time. Yeah. So i got to go into this story. This is amazing yeah. what happened with uh, that.
0: Uh, altering a DD-214. Oh, my. Alright, hold tight. Holy mackerel. Uh, John Burroughs is my
4: guest. Time to come.
5: We live now, let Seasons don't fear the reaper, but do the
1: to you at the speed of light in the darkness. This is Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell. Now, here's Art. Never misses, right? (laughs) At least once. All right, John
0: Burroughs is my guest. And uh, John, last we talked to him, just a couple of minutes ago, was talking about his DD-214. And uh, he he claimed they altered his DD-214 to show he was not in the Air Force at that time. That is a very, very serious offense, altering it two fourteen. My goodness.
2: Yeah, no, yes it is. And and here's the story behind it. When they handed it off to McCain's office, you know, they got the paperwork, they looked at it. They it was as typical they looked at it like and, and I want to be clear on Senator Kyle and Senator McCain's office. They, they they took a chance on this because they had the background on what what I was exposed to, what was going on. You know, they had the halt memo. They had official documents showing something happened to us, but they took the case, you know, and and it was a risk in their part because of the fact that the ramifications going back to, you know, where it could lead. But at the same time, they were looking at this with a little bit of an eye like, well, there's got to be an explanation to all this. Right. So. All right. So it goes to McCain. McCain, this was on the VA was having the trouble in Phoenix anyway. So I was and got an appointment. They got me expedited. They got me looked at. When I went in to see the doctor, she started asking me questions and I started answering them. She looked at me strange and she says, well, there's a problem here. And I says, well, what's that? She goes, you weren't in the service in 79. <laughs> we have no medical records for you during that time frame. So therefore what you're telling me can't be true. Well, I pulled out, I had a my little uh, briefcase, I pulled out a bunch of pay records and everything else. I showed them to her. Her guys got real big, and I says, so, how are we going to handle this now? She goes, well, this is above my pay grade. I can only give them my recommendation based on what I can look at. I said, fine. I left the office. I told McCain's office this. They were still like, okay, well, let's see what happens. Now, I, wonder what, frame, I wonder what McCain, hearing.
0: excuse me, when, when, when she reported this to McCain, I sure would have liked to have been a fly on that wall. I mean, she obviously went back to McCain and said, look, on one hand, they say he wasn't in the service, but on the other hand, I just saw evidence that he was.
2: Well, no, she didn't report to McCain. I'll tell you how McCain found out about this. This is when it got really crazy. Okay. Okay. A citizen's hearing happened with Steve Bassett. We went up there. When we addressed this to the uh, the six people that were in Congress, first of all, they didn't even know there was a classified record section. They didn't even know that. Most of them did. <laughs> they even took a break and made some phone calls, and they came back, and a couple of them got some inside information that there might be, but they actually put the letter, together a letter. That they sent it to the Obama, President Obama himself and to the head of the VA, asking them to intercede and help me, okay? Right after that, the CIA guy shows up, and I, we had an attorney working with us. He shows up and meets with the attorney and starts getting involved. Now... We go along a couple more months and I get a denial letter in the mail from the VA. And their denial was based solely on two factors. Number one, my DD Form 214 showed I didn't come in until 1982. So therefore, what I'm claiming could not have happened because I wasn't in the Air Force in 1979. Yes. And there were no medical records to support my issue either. Okay, McCain's office goes nuts on this. They go, we've got more than enough evidence to show you he was in. Right. They went as far as going to AFRPC on this. AFRPC told him I wasn't in. We got an email from them saying I couldn't have been in. I wasn't in. Well, I actually got around this by going to retirements because I was retired. And I talked to a girl on the phone and I says, well, I'm calling to confirm I'm not retired. When I explained the whole thing to her, she got into my files and got some stuff out that got back to McCain's office. And finally... Finally, after almost two months of going back and forth, they grudgingly then changed my DD Form 214 back to the fact that I joined the service. Good Lord, with or without an explanation. No explanation whatsoever. Matter of fact, (laughs) McCain, that senior staffer from McCain's office told me this. It was a yeoman's job behind the scenes for us to get this taken care of. But you're not going to know how he did it or how it was done. And the next step is to get you medically taken care of. But you'll probably never have any answers to what exactly happened to you. It's so deep. All right. So, it's so deep. Right. It's very deep. They. They. I don't know how much they found out, but it was clear from the aide in Senators Kyle's office and these people now that whatever happened to us was still classified. You know? was buried very deeply. And that. There was no headway on they weren't going to get any answers of what went on.
0: I would think, though, there would be better ways that they could go at this, uh, to keep a lid on it rather than to try to actually change it 214 and a date you were in the military. That's just ridiculous, because of course, ultimately you can prove
2: Well, right, but even when we proved it, they at first said no i oh I understand. And that's huh. and that's when Senator McCain's office basically through him said you better start changing your tune or we're gonna open up a full investigation into what happened over there. And that's when the two hundred fourteen tune changed. Well, I think that had something <laughs> to do with it, but they no. still weren't gonna they weren't gonna do anything for me medically. That was still a big hold up. Okay, that's or, the
0: next step. I mean once once they admit that at least you were in the military at the time you said you were the next step is, of course, to try to get the medical rec- records that are now relevant to a life-threatening problem.
2: Correct, but they weren't going to release them. So along comes the CIA doctor, writes a letter, goes to my attorney. His attorney, doctor, client, privilege, okay? But I was authorized to release it to the VA that was starting to look at me. As soon as they got that letter, everything changed. They immediately started treating me differently. Matter of fact, they brought in a DOD doctor. And what ended up being was what they found out, and there's medical proof to back this up too, because this type of radiation can affect the valve. But what, what the civilian doctors were missing, and now because they had the type of radiation the DOD got in the middle of it, they realized that there's two leaflets within your valve. Front and back is what I call it. The front one showed some damage, but it wasn't enough damage to cause the symptoms I was having. They've never had a case where the back leaflet was damaged. Well, mine wasn't just damaged. It was shredded. Hmm. It was shredded by this radiation.
0: Okay. Um, How did they determine the the amount of radiation you had received? I, I mean,
2: I've never got a straight answer on, no. on how much radiation I got. And matter of fact, I've never got a straight answer from them on even if it was terahertz. It was the CIA guy that identified that type of radiation, which is highly classified. It's being used extensively in military operations and weapons and stuff. There is a little bit of it being used in some of those scanners in the airports. All right. But it's a highly classified radiation. And But that opened the door for them. But then I was handled completely differently than I was actually being being screened. Everything went through this DOD doctor. Even the surgeon answered to him for the whole surgery and everything else. All right. So who actually got hold of or did anybody ever get hold
0: of your, your medical records?
2: Well, I'll, I'll finish it now.
0: Okay, sure.
2: I got to surgery. Okay, now the next step was to get disability because my heart was damaged so badly that right now a fracture rate is usually between 55 and 60. Mine's in the low 30s now, but it was down to 10 at one point and then in the 20s. So we were now working on disability, and there was a whole rigmarole about that. Uh, They were going to do something, then then somebody up high pulled it. An an IG complaint went in, and McCain had to step in again. Finally, they granted me disability. But here was the deal. They granted me disability on the fact that I was on duty in Reynolds and Forest. I was injured by whatever we encountered. That was why my heart was severely injured. But they are not going to release my medical records. They're not going to answer any FOIAs on it. They're not going to tell me where my records are. They're not going to release my medical records and that I'm being handled by certain doctors that have the clearance to work with me on this. <laughs> um,
0: so
2: they're not going to answer any FOIAs? Nope. They they blew FOIAs. They blew FOIAs to McCain's office. They got caught holding back stuff. They got caught. They wouldn't answer my FOIAs. They wouldn't even answer whether or not the VA ever did get an explanation from the Special Operations Unit that handle You
0: handles. know, medical records are a little bit of a different situation, but certainly you would have the right to file a FOIA for your own medical
2: information. I did, and they won't release them to me. What specifically did they say? They, they This is where it gets real shady. They they basically leave it as the fact that that we've treated you, we've taken care of you, And we're not going to deal with you anymore. And so basically what this (laughs) was going to come down to is I'd have to file a lawsuit to actually ask where my records were and pursue it from that point. Wow. Because they're classified. I mean, McCain's office said it. Kyle's office said it. Um, Do I have it in writing from the VA? No, they won't answer that question. But ultimately, my, oh, and I even tried to get some of my stuff. I tried to pull a little fast one. I did get a little bit of it before the rest of it got locked down. But it's also, what's interesting is it's all computerized now. And it's in the VISTA system. But the VISTA system is a direct link between the VA and the Department of Defense. And all my stuff that relates to my heart, even a couple of my lower-level doctors can't get at it. They've even admitted it to me. They said, we, we don't have the clearance to look at your records. What they about had to the move me up to a higher level doctor when right, my heart was? What involved.
0: about the others that were subjected to the same radiation?
2: That's something I'm working with some of them right now, trying to get some stuff done. And Senator McCain's office again is going to help with this because now it's real easy. They understand and they're willing to step up and help these guys.
0: Mm-hmm. So there, there are others with effects.
2: Yes, there's others that have had radiation, appeared to be radiation symptoms. One guy, actually, it was interesting, had some issues with his thyroid, and the doctor, the civilian doctor, said the only way this could have happened to your thyroid was exposure to radiation. That's what it would affect, for sure. And that affects your mind, because the thyroid goes up to a gland, and the gland. he was having issues with anger and everything else, Mm -hmm. and heart issues, too. So he's had some of the same issues, also. All right. Whether it's yourself
0: or others that were involved at Rendlesham, uh, at any point or at what point do you feel like you were being perhaps monitored? Monitored by who? Monitored uh, perhaps by military authorities, whether it be medical or otherwise.
2: For me personally, medically, there that's part of the speculation on why my records are classified, because... I didn't know it at the time, but the symptoms I had were looked at by the military. matter of fact, the heart issue went the right path. Now, I find out through the grapevine later on, well, you know why you went the right path? No, not really. Well, where do they did all the work on this stuff? Oh, okay. So along the lines with the eyes, the heart, and everything else, at the time I didn't know it, but it appears that was partly what was going on. They were monitoring that and keeping track of it.
0: Well, that would imply they knew pretty much exactly what you had been uh, exposed to.
2: Yeah, and it goes even deeper than that. It appears to me, and I can go into condyne a little bit, which is uh, declassified documents from the British MOD, that, that it's clear that, that the governments of the world are aware of whatever we encountered. It's called UFO, UAP, but they're clear about it they're 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 studying it they're working on it they're weaponizing it and there's a good possibility yes they were monitoring us to see how we were affected by it to include that when this became public the whole health issues there was actually some testing that was requested they wanted to look at our dna and um also some other t- testing that they wanted to do that would have been reaction to what we encountered
0: i wonder if they did look at your dna of course I guess you don't know, do you?
2: Well, I can tell you this, I denied it the first part of it, I said no. But after I had my surgery, the DOD doctor came up and wanted to look at my immune system and the the blood that he took got sent away from the VA and was sent to a site. And what I've been able to learn, because a lot of it's locked down, I couldn't even get at it. But what little I did get out of it was they were clearly looking at my immune system, which leads to my DNA. All
0: right. Hold tight. Hold tight, John. John uh, Burroughs, Rendlesham Forest, is what we're talking about. Holy mackerel, what a story.
5: You get a shiver in the dark. It's raining in the pub, but meantime. I the river, you're stopping your whole everything. Uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh. 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 Yeah.
5: It Absolutely uh-huh. Say it again, y'all.
1: What Wanna take a ride? Your conductor, Art Bell, will punch your ticket when you call 1952. Call Art. That's 1952 225 5278.
0: All right, John Burroughs is here. We're discussing Rendlesham,
1: and uh,
0: boy, when first we. What is it? Something about a web and deceit, right? <laughs> John, welcome back. Uh, Thanks. All right, so, uh, in your opinion, do you feel that um your memories have been blocked or that you've had false memories implanted somehow or another? And and of course the next question is gonna be by whom? Uh but 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 first, obviously there's a memory block because you were able to say all sorts of
2: things under hypnosis, right? Correct. And, it, it, it. And there's another piece of the puzzle. It's Project Condine, which was a report that was done by the British government on UFOs, UAPs. And when you go into the report, and it's like over 400 pages long, but when you go into the report, it goes into the details of this phenomenon. It has the ability, when you get close to it, to see things may cause people, each, different people to see different things. It can block your memory your long-term, your short-term memory. It can cause all kinds of issues. There's a radiation involved with it. Um, And there's a lot of stuff within it, just like any other reports that, you know, it's like doublespeak or whatever you want to talk about it. But if you go through the report and you break it down, it does go into a lot of things that not only what we were dealing with, but what other people have had experiences that people have had that have had some kind of encounter. All right um
0: false memories that's something else all together uh or injected memories uh, in other words could there have been a a period of time where the military said oh my god this thing has happened we're going to have to control it and the only way we're going to control it uh apparently besides manipulating 214s later <laughs> is to give somebody memories uh that tells some different sort of story that
2: I, I don't know. I, I, uh. I you know, I, that's it, a valid question and, and and you can take it for this. Different people remember being interrogated. Matter of fact, penicillin and hypnosis said they used sodium pentothal on him or I, a lot of people say it would have been amethol, but it, it, hypnosis says pentothal. Um, but when you take condyne and you take all this other stuff, that's now surfaced. You know, again it's been over thirty years, so stuff starts getting declassified and stuff. You have to wonder if the the military itself was perplexed by it. They couldn't really understand it. Right. It, they were in the infancy stages of what we were dealing with at that point. If if you know the base where we were at, right outside the gate was some of the most technical equipment, the best equipment we had, both British and American, that were outside, that were being worked on. And there were special access programs going on at that time. And Reynolds from itself, and this has gone on way before our incident and after to this day, they have weird things that go on on that forest. And one of the things that was uncovered was there was a scientific team down in the area right when that incident happened. They were already doing investigative work on that area in the phenomenon itself. Well, look, I get
0: one night, maybe even two, but three nights in a row? Uh, At that point, there should have been a very, very, very serious, deep investigation. There should have been people everywhere. It should have been, by the third night, gigantic, right?
2: Well, they did. They brought in the team. Uh, I think the first night... And I, and I honestly, I can only tell you this based on the research I've done. I don't think the base overall knew what was going on. As a matter of fact, I would say probably nobody on That's the base amazing. had a really good idea, even the the general in charge. Wow. But at the same time, some of the stuff was going on, was going on on the base itself and was going on at Marshall Heath, which was an attachment to the base. But I think quickly afterwards, General Williams was read into a lot of this stuff. Matter of fact, when I met with him... With these declassified documents, he was blown away. He could not believe those documents did get declassified, and that they actually admitted to that Reynoldson was in the documents itself they It said that we were that we were exposed to radiation within these documents he couldn't believe that part came out or the frequencies or the fact that within these documents, it even says that wing commanders, of people that are in the flying wings, are briefed on this because there is interaction between pilots in this phenomenon itself.
0: All right, John, it's a period of three days.
2: You mentioned
0: radar once. Right. Obviously, over three days, um, unless this thing was on the ground all the time, there would have been additional radar uh, sightings. Uh, Were you able to learn... Or could FOIA's be filed, uh, which learned the totality of what radar knew about all this?
2: Well, the interesting thing with that is, it's kind of like with my medical records. Uh, the memo uh-huh. that was put out, the dates were wrong. The Colonel Hall put out in the first place, they had the dates wrong. So they went back and they tried to recover the radar stuff. Right. And the dates that they asked for, they said those those dates have been erased already. Um, and then when they went back later, they got the same answer that, the, the data that they should have kept anyway was, was erased. But that goes even deeper into all the missing files that the British admitted uh-huh. they don't have. And the fact that they're still holding 18 files after they'd said they'd already released everything. And but, you
0: know, doggone John, uh, they lost all the Roswell records too. It is. I know.
2: I, I understand. And that's just it. the thing. When the, when the British government said they were being transparent, and I think a lot of people followed this, when they got to the Reynoldsham part, there was a huge gap between, there was missing files through the DIS. Their answer was, well, they got destroyed. Uh-huh. They accidentally got destroyed. That's well, okay. True. Well, don't you have procedures in place? Well, Nick Pope said, well, number one, they weren't supposed to be destroyed. Number two, if they were destroyed, this should have been who authorized them and why. All of that was not there. So there's a huge gap in the missing files. Well, I asked Nick, and he wouldn't give me a straight answer, but I don't think they're missing at all. I think they're still classified at top secret, which is a way to cover this because if you say I'm releasing everything we have and everything we're releasing secret or below, well, and then we said we're missing files. If they came out and said, well, there's still stuff being classified, there would be a huge row. But if they just say we lost them, they'll take the heat on that. Now, it goes deeper because of Condine, and I did a bunch of FOIA, and I, I slipped some stuff in, and I caught, I think, this guy off guard because it went from him to the very top. I started getting responses back from the defense secretary himself that They actually admitted, they slipped up, even though they admitted earlier on. Remember how they they released every file they had? Admitted, they
0: slipped up in in what manner? They
2: said, oops, we're still holding 18
0: files.
2: (laughs) And six of those files are policy files. Policy files. Yes. And it gets even more intriguing. They're in a bind for two reasons. Number one, most people don't follow this closely enough. Even these files that have been released, they're still redacted. And you know what that means. I do. There's stuff still classified. Now, when they come back and say, well, here's everything we got, well, that's not true. Because, yes, they're releasing documents, but they're still holding stuff that's classified. And that goes right over most people's head, including the mainstream news. And in this particular case, in Condine and these 18 files, a lot of that stuff is still classified. Now, how can you say it's not a defense significance?
0: Have you ever actually put your hands on any of these files? In other words, did they release in part? Something along with a lot of blacked out redacted stuff?
2: No, not yet on the 18 files. As a matter of fact, they're in a bind. When they admitted it to me, I kept quiet for a while. And then I did a press release. And they finally did a short announcement that they were holding more files. And uh-huh. then it got quiet again. Finally, somebody in the House of Lords took it to the MOD twice. And they finally said, well, down the road, we're going re- to release these files. Down the road. Down the road, yeah. They haven't they I think they finally got a date of sometime in sixteen. Now my inquiry started in thirteen and in fourteen they admitted it. So they're holding files that they didn't have in the first place for two more years minimum. And when they come out, yeah, Condine had a bunch of redacted stuff, and that's what led me. To the redacted stuff, which I held in my hand, and I started asking questions about that, and I slipped in a couple of questions, and the guy slipped up and admitted within the redacted stuff there were still files being held from Condine. Remarkable. And there were 18 files.
0: Absolutely remarkable. I
2: guess they figure if they can hold out long enough, we die. I don't know. Well, that, and I also think 16 is an important time to release them. What's going to be on everybody's mind in the spring going into the summer of 2016 in the United States?
0: Uh, The spring going into the summer?
2: Yeah. I don't know. What? The elections.
0: Well, um, I guess. more Yeah, I mean, that's just
2: a big item in, in all this stuff going on. So if they casually release these files in the U.K., and then they kind of and somebody just says well you know that they, they got caught but here's the rest of them there's nothing to them which they have people that they hire to do that this not going to it's not going to make the kind of headway it would in the states that if there was no election or anything like that going on
0: yeah i suppose the election could probably uh cover up the news news cycle a bit right <laughs> but uh, but they've really messed up here severely messed up and I, I kind of wonder whether we'll ever know. I mean, you must have days like that as well, John. Um, you know, whether they'll just come up to the date and then somehow it'll be another date. It'll be further down the line. Well, that's what they've done with this twice now. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Yeah. All right, hold, uh, hold, hold on, John. We'll be right back.
1: What's next, exclusively on the Dark Matter Digital Network, Midnight in the Desert, with Art Bell. Now, here's Art. Oh, we are indeed.
0: What's next? Rendlesham Forest. my guest, is John Burroughs. And uh, it seems to me, you know, I was in the Air Force too, A1C, as a matter of fact, Um, and it seems, I, I know how things work. And, you know, one day... I could imagine John was out there and John wouldn't be out there on any other day. Not the way the Air Force works. If it's a big deal, you know, the low ranks get abandoned quickly. So the fact that you were brought back, that the colonel felt that whatever it was wanted you back and brought you back, means to me you're at the very center of all this, John. Does that seem right?
2: Well, okay, there's a couple of things to consider. Number one, I went back out there um, on the third night on my own. I was off duty. Um, Hypnosis is what that came out. Um, Right, right, right. And Elizabeth writes,
0: um, she sends me a computer message here, a wormhole message saying, I'm getting lost. Did he finish describing what happened as perceived under hypnosis? I'm not sure we did, really. You said some of it, but um, is there more?
2: (laughs) Just basically that definitely there was an interaction that that it was communicating with us and that you actually entered this being or Yeah, well that's not just from hypnosis. Actually Sergeant Peniston said he saw me go into it on the first night and Adrian Bistenza on the third night saw me go in and disappear. And there was missing time on the first night. 45 minutes where they couldn't account for us.
0: Wow. All right. Uh, did you come back with a a clear message yourself under hypnosis?
2: Just that they were monitoring us, that there were things that we were doing that concerned them, and, and, and it didn't seem like at that point, but they'd come back to monitor from that point going forward where there's going to be something that happens that they're going to try to figure out at that point, going to that point, how or what they can do maybe to keep it from happening or what caused it to happen. That's the best I can tell you.
0: John, is there anything over the years that has occurred to you or that you thought of that you have not made public?
2: Yeah, there's several <laughs> quite a bit.
0: <laughs> um Okay. Proceed.
2: Well, uh, that's why I haven't <laughs> talked about it. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of sum it up this way, aren't you? Um, when I started this in ten, it's so much has changed since 2010-2009 timeframe. When I all I really wanted to do, this is before I got really sick, was simply to get us all together, to try to get us. To talk about it, which it's funny when some of us now we finally have, we start to remember things and things start to fall into place. And it's clear there's an influence within that doesn't want us to get together. And when this binary stuff came up, which we talked about way early on, that was a mind you know, mind blower. And all the stuff in between, just the sights, the possibilities, the um, my hypnosis, how things are starting to fall into place for my hypnosis, which it's kind of hard to accept. There's all kinds of things that go through your mind and, and stuff that you think about and wonder about, or you see in the news and stuff that you're not going to go out and publicly talk about or make a big deal about, because that's where people are going to start to think you belong somewhere in some hospital or something. Well, you
0: sound sane to me. Uh, (laughs) You obviously belonged in a hospital for a while, not the kind you were thinking of, and were in a hospital for a while, I'm sure, Uh, almost died. Right. But if you can relate to me anything that has occurred to you um, after these years that you haven't made public, I'd be very appreciative.
2: Well... I would say this much. Based on the research I've done, and there's one thing I want to add to this before I tell you this other part. You'd asked me earlier if there was a document I was holding. I am holding the document. Oh. I got sectioned once I got this document. And in this document from the MOD, they've admitted that they've developed a weapon off of what we encountered. Really? Yes. And, not, and that's when they sectioned me. And the interesting thing was the weapon they developed doesn't belong directly to the MOD, and it's mostly all blacked out because it's involving defense contractors that are working on it for the MOD. And it has to do with time and and everything else that's going on. That As you've noticed in the news, and that's why I'm leading up to this, have you noticed in the last few months how all of a sudden now they're talking about warp drive They're talking about what I would call
0: impulse It's everywhere now, John. Yes, everywhere.
2: Well, that's the stuff that I've kept quiet on because I've had some interaction with some government people, some stuff. I know some of the people that are working on this project, and I know where this is going. And the scary part is it's one thing to be told something, but then to see it actually coming out in mainstream news is pretty mind-blowing. Let's go back to where you were told something. Just... The, the, the warp drive, and the phenomenon itself ties into interstellar travel, warp drive, and everything else.
0: So are you telling me you were, it was imparted to you by this alien, I think it's fair, fair to call it an alien, uh, that there was going to be or that there existed a warp drive or that we were on the way to developing a warp drive or what?
2: That, it, not directly from my hypnosis, but they weren't concerned about the nuclear stuff. They were concerned about frequencies and what we're doing, which is right where we're at at this particular moment in history.
0: It sure is.
2: And I can tell you one other thing that stunned me the other day, and unfortunately I didn't save it. I'm going to go back and get it. But I don't. did you ever see the movie Final Countdown? Oh, absolutely. Now, think about this. The movie was done in 1980. They only went back 40 years in time. And look at the ramifications of technology advancements from 40 to 80. The communications problems they had. All the stuff that went on. uh And what that one ship could do would have changed history in 1940. One ship. So there definitely was something about time. Right, and now you get into this thing with Penniston and time travelers. Well, he did say under hypnosis 40,000 years. I think he meant 40 years. And when I say that, I say that because he really grasped for that time frame. Well, it just came out in mainstream news. There is a craft, an unmanned drone that's being, it's in the final stages that's going to be operational between now and 2020 that we have that looks a lot like exactly what he drew back in
0: 1980. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, there's a lot here. I want to open the phone lines and allow people to ask you questions. So um, our public number, by the way, is uh, 1-952-225-5278, opportunity of a lifetime to ask a question. You never know what you might hear in response. And, of course, the Skype uh, connections as well. Having said that, uh, there was a, a moment, wasn't there, where laser beams were seen shining to the ground by whatever this thing was, and it seemed to be doing some sort of uh, search.
2: Yes, there were two things that came out, that, and it's on Colonel Halt's tape, and you can hear it in his voice. And I, I love how people try to say, well, that was a fake tape. Listen to that segment right there where it comes at him, and a beams of, a beam of light down at their feet. Listen to the quiver in his voice and everything. But there was clearly something that was sent down. He has actually said over the time frame, was it a warning, was it a message, what was going on? And then also one of the other guys out there with him at the time said, whatever was up in the sky appeared to be doing some kind of search or grid pattern.
0: A grid pattern search. Right.
2: I wonder what they would have been looking for. Maybe whatever we encountered the first night, that's been some speculation. Huh. Um,
0: did you ever come to terms in your own mind, uh, John, uh, with regard to what you encountered and where it was from, as well as what it wanted or what it was concerned with?
2: That's part of why you asked me if there's things I haven't discussed. Ah, um, uh, good. It clearly upset me and it's upset the people that were in the room that day that it was coming back for me at some point. That was, that was definitive. There was no doubt that there was some point in time in the future that it was coming back from. So it's, it's, you feel this is yet to occur. Yeah. and, And, and it's not only that it's the interest that's happened to me over the years from within the government, different technology people. And even, um, I I don't want to go too deep into this, but I've had some, um, you know, um, some, you know, people within the, uh, the tribes themselves that have actually made contact with me. And I've been able to go up to some of their sacred sites and do some stuff. And it all seems a lot of people believe whatever we encountered and whatever happened is vital to the future of mankind. And that's kind of a hard thing to accept. Um, but very important to know
0: about, really important to know about.
2: Well, yeah. I, I don't disagree. I mean, that's why you can go into the message that Peniston said he received. Um, the sites are all ancient sites. Um, the uh, fact that one of them is the Temple of Apollo, which sits right next to the island of Patmos, and we all know what was written at Patmos. Yes. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let, let's go to some of the folks,
0: and maybe they'll jog your memory a little bit. Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Hello there. You're on the air.
4: Hey, uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm Joe. Uh, are you aware that the 29th, the next day after the 28th, same month, uh, same year, that Betty Cash and Vicky Lander had an incident in Dayton, Texas, a light in the sky thing, and they were exposed to radiation like he was, also, the, uh, there was some Chinook helicopters that showed up during all this. I was wondering, have you heard of the aircraft reactor propulsion systems that they experimented in the 50s and later on led to the mold and salt reactor experiments at Oak Ridge? And then about that time after the 60s, it was shut down. Is this part of your black ops that you're wondering about? Is part of this is a carryover from the uh, aircraft experiments? aircraft reactor
2: experiments? Well, I, I am aware of the, the, the Cash Landrum incident. Um, there has been quite a few people that have tried to look at our case and that case, and they think there's a tie-in because of the time frame, where what, what happened, what, the dates and, and the time timing that happened, and that there was radiation involved, and I can't say that that is impossible. Matter of fact, that's on my next thing to look at. I just haven't had the time yet. But there's a lot of people that have looked at that and feel there's something related to it. And what's also interesting, prior to our incident, there was an incident, another incident in the UK that involved a British, uh, policeman. And then prior to that, Albuquerque had a major incident that followed the same parameters of what happened at our incident. But, I'm not so sure about the reactors and stuff. I, I think what our incident had to do more with radar frequencies and everything else and less to do with nuclear reactors. That's just my take so far. All right,
4: caller? What do you All right. Uh, do, you, do you say on the, uh, okay, there's, you know, there's those uh, large triangles that uh, I think you saw. saw uh, art.
0: Oh, I sure uh, did.
4: Okay, well, they're powered by something I believe they're ours. And what's got me was you mentioned in the 80s, and based on the molten salt reactors of the, uh, experiments at Oak Ridge, and the, which was based off the aircraft uh, uh, reactor experiments, could this be the? we and like I said, we're talking heavy radiation possibilities. What I'm trying to say is, is this part of the uh, black ops later on that uh, powered these things?
2: I would, I would, I honestly couldn't give you an answer on that. What, what I believe the black ops had to do and the SAP programs had to do more with frequencies and the radars and all that and the EM fields, which, under my hypnosis, that does come up. That what we're doing to the EM fields, which affect the Earth itself and you know out even out outside the Earth parameters, I think that had more to do with it than. The actual, you know, what you're talking about, but anything's possible. And, you know, if you have any information, you know, down the line that you can tie that in, I'd be interesting to know about it.
0: All right. Lewis on Skype, you're on the air with Mike. with sir. Yes,
2: Airman, my... Airman Burroughs. Thank you, Mr. Bell.
6: If mm-hmm. I can, I'll ask two questions. I think I'm going to just focus on a current rumor that I've heard, and I want to either quash it so that it doesn't grow or say what you will. Uh, on a show on Dark Matter Radio Network, Another guest claimed that Sergeant Peniston made a deal to get his medical records for it, and in her turn he would shut up uh, does that sound
2: plausible to you? well that I can tell you that's I'm glad you brought that up okay, okay. Mm-hmm. the it was Congress there was a congressman that was a, at the hearings and he he did a yes he actually yes. talked to him. I've just recently talked to him.
6: That's the source and of the
2: rumor. He asked They're me Penison. what happened to Sergeant Peniston in this, and I I gave him this answer. And this is this is this is coming from me now because Jim and I did go to the hearings. We did testify in front of these guys, you know, these mock hearings. Um, he was all on board, and you can see the hearings online that he, you know, he had health issues that he was involved that he wanted something done. After the hearings happened, and this CIA guy showed up, and. Uh-huh. The um the actual Steve Bassett actually was trying to make headway to get us in front of a real Congress. He Jim backed off. And, and when I said he backed off, he actually did post a statement at one point saying the fact that he was threatened and he wouldn't elaborate and that he actually had some records. He turned over to the V.A. and he was now being taken care of and he wanted to drop it all. Now, mm. it got kind of blown out of proportion that who threatened him, which he never said, number one and number 2 he did drop out of this and the the only question i had on all this was why would you go in front of these people and say you had health issues and we were going to take care of it and then later say you had records that took care of all the problem that just didn't add up but he did drop out of all of this once the cia doctor got into it and you know and and there was an actual possibility that we could go in front of congress that's the best i can tell you
6: Dee, if i may get a second question and my dog's always trying to blackmail me that they're going to bark if I don't pay attention to them when I'm on the phone. Um, I, I take it it was a large base. Rendlesham was a large base. I'll make up a number, 10,000 uh, airmen. It, it, wouldn't there be a lot of witnesses? And is there some way to get a name of all the people on the base at the time and start trying to get more people to come out of the shadows and explain what they saw? Many, many people must have seen the orchestra in the sky that night not just the handful that have come forward and are in the spotlight.
2: Well, so, first of all, it was the largest tech fighter wing in the Air Force. Okay. So it was a joint base. It was the largest tech fighter wing in the Air Force. So it was a large base. Over the years, different people have come forward, talked about it, and then they disappear. I mean, we have come up with numerous people that have we've got recorded that have talked about different things, and then they just seem to fade away. Um, and there's been other people recently that are starting to come forward. Oh. So that I'm hoping somehow, some way, that eventually a bunch of us can have a reunion somewhere and all get together, and I think that would solve a lot of the issues.
6: Maybe that's a book for me to write to track down all these folks. But thank you for so, your time, Mr. Bell. It's certainly a Mr. book Burroughs. for
0: somebody to write. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. and And to get it all straightened out. I guess straightened out is a pretty good word for it. Uh, let's go here to the phone lines and say hi, you're on the
7: air. Hello. Hello, time In Richmond, uh, Virginia, listening on WTWW shortwave, 5085 kilohertz. Yes. Um, John, I really want to uh, thank you for uh, doing this show. Uh, I think you and Art, I want to thank you both for your service to the Air Force. but John, you in particular, I think, deserve a Purple Heart for the injuries that you received in, your, in service to your country, and I hope that you properly awarded that. If not, I think there'd be a lot of people pushing for that to happen. Um, now, I have uh, taken the moniker, uh, you can see on, uh, on Midnight Fans, uh, uh, which is is one of our Bells fan sites, uh, of plasma and for a very good reason. Plasma and is the kind of physics that's activated by these terahertz waves that can produce the kind of energy that you need to do a warp drive. And what a plasma and is, is it's a... Photon of, in this case, it would be terahertz light photons that are crawling along a dielectric plane with the uh, electromagnetic field, the electric field pinned to the dielectric and magnetic field free to move uh, in, uh, perpendicular to that. This is the kind of physics that's going to allow all kinds of new technologies for warp drives, very fast transfer of, uh, of spaceships to Mars and, and nearby planets.
0: So, well, he certainly said that was exactly what's involved.
3: Right.
7: Yeah, and I think that uh, uh, I have written some stuff over at the Midnight Fan site that you might want to look at, John, that talks about this just a few days ago. All
0: right, I'm going to uh, have to cut, cut, cut it short there. If, if there's something in print, though, everybody can go look at it if they wish. All right, we'll be back. I'm Mark Bell, my guest John Burroughs. Stay right
3: there.
1: Strike twelve, and Midnight in the Desert is pounding packets your way on the Dark Matter Digital Network. To call the show, please direct your finger digits to dial one nine five two 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 five fifty two seventy eight. That's one nine five two. Call art. Well, all right.
0: I get a sense about these things, and I have a sense that while John has told us um, a great deal, that there are things that he has not mentioned publicly. Are there things, John, that, that really are so out there that you would be afraid of people, what people would think of you?
2: Yeah, somewhat, and also the fact that one of the things, because I I really didn't spend most of my life in this, but the things that concern me the most is people coming out and making these predictions and and, and all this stuff and and it gets people worked up and nervous and one of the things that I try and I'm doing my best not to do is to go too deep into stuff because honestly the stuff that came out in 88 just was so hard for me to stomach and believe in the first place and so much of it's coming true but I I don't want to be somebody that's out there adding to it yes adding to it I, I do believe I'll say this much: I do believe these next four years are critical to mankind's survival. And what I mean is, do I mean we'll be wiped off the face of the earth? No, but I think where we'll end up in the next four years will have a big say in how we evolve over the next hundred to two hundred years.
0: Well, hopefully, we do uh, continue to evolve. Um, all right, let's go to Jeremy on uh, Skype.
8: Hi, uh, hi, John. Hello. Hey, John, I was wondering, this life force you encountered, could it possibly be uh, looking forward to when you encountered it to what's going to happen next Wednesday when they turn on CERNs (laughs) and uh, possibly engage a frequency we shouldn't be messing with?
2: Well, yeah, I've been following the CERN stuff, and there's no doubt that there is some concern there. I mean, it's not just me, but a lot of people, you know, have written about it and stuff. Um, CERN is a very interesting project and, and it goes to the God particle. And, and when, when you start messing with that, I think you saw the movie angels and demons and stuff. It 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 It's something that, you know, it's basically science trying to outdo faith. And that's not a good thing. So, do I think that the world's going to end next week or the week after? No. Do I think it could affect something that could could affect mankind? That's possible. But I don't, in my magic ball, as if you want to call it, I don't think we're the world's going to end anytime soon. I just don't think maybe we're going to live quite as comfortably as we have over the last 40 or 50 years.
8: Okay, then my second part, I know Arts acknowledged it, and a caller before acknowledged the uh, triangle sightings over Arizona and other places, what do you make of
9: the uh, Air Force trying to tell us that it was flares being dropped from A-10? <laughs> We've all seen flares dropped.
2: Okay, that, well, that's it. one of the things I've kept quiet over the years. I was actually in Arizona when that happened. Really? <laughs> yes, I was. Were you a um, witness, actually? Um, I didn't really see anything that night, but what I will tell you is this, okay? The flares came way after. I know that, you know, that, that that stuff wasn't in the sky at the time when the first stuff happened. I had a friend who was very reliable that saw something come out from the Tucson area up over Ahwatukee and head out towards Luke. Um, I passed this on to James Fox a few years ago that something landed at Luke that night that came in and went down and it went land. And Luke was there for a short time. And I correlate that from the fact that my friend saw it come over the mountain. The uh, guys out there at the base, I wasn't on duty that night, but they talked to me about it afterwards, obviously because of my background with stuff that's happened in the first place. They couldn't wait to tell me about it. And then it was confirmed later when they said it left, there was a truck driver that saw something leave and go over I-10 south towards Gila Bend. (laughs) So... You're asking me what I think based on technology and everything else. I think it was something we were involved with, and I think there's a good possibility there was something else going on at the same time.
0: Thanks for your time, gentlemen. All right. Thank you. Do you think that our military um, or the British military or military anywhere has, I don't know, I hate to say made a deal with but communicated with these beings Do you, is it your view that that's where this new technology that we seem to be right on the edge of, I mean, really on the edge of, is coming from, uh, from contact?
2: Um, okay. Here's the, the $60,000 question. I do not know for sure what we dealt with. I've never tried to say that. People have said it was ET. People have said it's time travelers and such. I do know that the, it's in Condine, which is declassified documents from the British. The secret, they were secret, which is a big deal. And they've admitted in these documents that the, all these countries, the major countries, Russia, China, us, France, they all are aware of this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. They're all working on this phenomenon. They're trying to weaponize it and use the technology. I've been in contact with scientists that have admitted to this. And... The, the other the other factor in all of this is, yes, I mean, you have to look at the weaponry, the advancement in technology, and yes, I do believe, and I have also talked to Dr. Edgar Mitchell about this, who was on these committees, and in Condine, it says they brought astronauts in to study this, that they're studying what we dealt with and what other people dealt with, and what's the first thing mankind wants to do with it? Weaponize it. Weaponize it. And they want to use it against each other and on each other, their own countries. Yes, it it may well be, it may well
0: be, John, that um, what we're talking about here, if turned, if weaponized, would make nuclear weapons look like firecrackers, and
2: well, there's been speculation. If you go back, that this was mainstream. That remember how the, Israel was so upset about two years ago about mm-hmm. the Iran nuclear deal, and then all of a sudden one day there was a meeting, they backed off. I remember. A lot of people speculated that they were told that the nuclear weapons don't matter anymore. That we can counter that Ooh. now. Does that mean that that we could stop everything? Probably not, but does that mean we could probably stop the launching of missiles and do different things like that? That was the speculation that went on that day, and it wouldn't surprise me based on this technology I've seen when I was still on active duty. I was on active duty after uh, 9-11, so, yeah, we've made huge advancements in technology, and based on these documents, you can't help but tie it into the study of whatever we dealt
0: with. All right. Let's go to – Florida somewhere. You're on the air with John Burroughs. Hi.
9: Hey, Art. This is Tom from Florida. Hey, John. How are you, sir? Uh, Thank you for your service, both of you. Um, My question is, is your opinion of this possibly being a test to see how the actual, uh, your base would react to something like this? But deeper than that, what if this is actually uh, coming from 40 years in the future because of the drone you said that they were designing Mm -hmm. based on this technology? I mean, it could actually be the drone that they developed sent back to that time, so it all would happen
2: well, the test part if you if you mean do you do I believe that for three nights they had us running around in the forest in a foreign country and all this stuff going on within the the w s a no, I don't believe that that was the test now, up until. A few years ago, I time travel was just science fiction, mm-hmm. but in the last five or six years, it's no longer science fiction. And what Peniston said was they were coming from the future back. So could it be something from the future coming back? I can't argue that point now, especially with all the stuff that's becoming it's coming to light in the last few months or the last year. Um now the question would be, are they coming back by accident? Or what? That That's another whole, you know, Pandora's box.
9: We Well, you know how you said that they were developing a drone that was actually based on what it is that you all encountered that evening? Well, that, I
2: said I saw pictures of a drone that's getting ready to go into active duty that looks a lot like what Sergeant Pennison drew in 1980, yes.
7: Right, and I'm, what
9: I'm saying is, do you think it's possible that it... it it's that actual drone going back to you guys in 1980?
2: It could be very well. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is if that's why I brought up the movie Final Countdown. If, in fact, something happened, and, and there's a lot of speculation between 18 and 22 that a lot of bad things are going to happen financially, militarily, and everything else, let's just say – this becomes operational, or there's a good chance it already is operational. If you know that how the military works, <laughs> then something happens here in the in the in the future, a year, two, three, four years from now, it could kick all the way back to eighty. Because one of the speculations of time travel is it can only go back as far as when it was first developed.
9: Right. Yeah. That, that just sounds like a, that could be a very interesting uh, possibility. Of if a, if
2: you'd have told I, me that five years ago, I'd have laughed at you. Not anymore. <laughs>
9: Well, thank you, sir, and and thank you, Art.
3: Right.
0: Thank you uh, very much for the call. And uh, let's go here. You're on the air with John Burroughs.
6: Hello?
0: Yes, hello.
4: Hi. I have a couple of questions for John. I would like to know, John, do you have any idea where these people came from that were in contact with you or who they might represent? And also one additional question uh, you said that you were under the impression they were going to contact you again. Was there any timeline given for that?
2: The first part, no, not really. The guy that was doing hypnosis seemed to have some insight, and I can't remember exactly where he thought they were coming from. But I never really speculated. In fact, it's typical my personality when he said a certain thing. I said, it, I said it in the hypnosis that what you're saying is wrong. It's not possible. And, and it was left at that. Now, the part of when they're coming back, it appears, they didn't give a direct date, but it does appear, well, the way they described it, it, we very well could be coming into that time frame right now. Gee, so you could be getting a visit uh, pretty soon. Under hypnosis, yes, it's
0: possible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you feel about that? I mean, is, it, is, it, is that scary to you, or have you come to terms with it? Or how do you feel about it?
2: Well, okay. First of all, for it to come out in hypnosis back in 88 was mind-blowing and all the stuff around it. Okay, But as years have evolved, it's become more and more clear that what seemed so crazy in 1988 now uh-huh. could be possible. The only question I have is what, what, why would they come back for me? You know, why did they make that so clear? That's, well, they obviously that's had I don't yeah,
0: they obviously had intense interest in you, or you
2: wouldn't have been going back. Uh, that I can't argue, and that's been that's been talked about, and and that's some of the things I don't like to talk a lot about because it, just think about it. I'm just a good old boy from the Midwest out there doing my job. Next thing you know, over a three night period, I have some kind of contact twice. There's missing time. I get injured by it. And and then under hypnosis, it goes into more detail, which seems to be playing out now. And not only that, they're coming back. So, I mean, that's a lot to handle. It
0: sure is. DD-214 changed, medical records classified, my goodness. Hold tight right there. 952-225-5278 or in North America, MITD51.
1: Conductor Art Bell will punch your ticket when you call 1952. Call Art. That's 1952 225 5278. Very easy number. John Burroughs is here.
0: He was at Rindlesham when all this happened. Three nights. The only one there. Three nights. Apparently, a message was imparted. Some of it uh, has come back through uh, hypnosis. Probably not all of it. He was key in some way to all of this and to them, or in my opinion, he would not have come back uh, uh, even that second night. So what a great mystery uh, it is. Um, John, I'm sure you've rolled this over in your head a million times,
2: right? Right, And, and, and on the break, I just did check... I know there's a lot of interest from you on my hypnosis and stuff. Yes. There is a 10-minute clip of it on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a 10-minute clip of it that was used at one point, and it's on there. So if anybody wanted to go and look at it, they can. And the interesting thing about it was one of the, the biggest skeptics and debunkers of the Rendlesham case looked at it and said he believed it. So I don't know what to do with that.
0: And this will come up under your name, a Just your name. Just put John
2: Burroughs hypnosis, uh-huh. and it comes up.
0: Really? Yep. Um.
2: How long were you under? Do you recall that? If I remember right, because I don't have at least three hours for that. One. Three and hours, I've been under, really? I've been under a couple other times too that were
0: very, very disturbing. So. Really? Yep. Uh, so other things came out.
2: Well, the this is the whole thing that's just hard to explain um a few years later this would have been probably around 2009 10 um there was a hypnotherapist that got involved that there was some stuff that was done through stanford and everything and she actually wanted to take a look and and the weird thing about it was when when i went under there are certain things that started with interesting things like went to a door. I saw pie and then tried to take me back and all of a sudden, and it's really bizarre. It was out at one point, but it's, I think it's not on the line anymore, but my whole body almost lifts off the chair and I'm shaking. When I tried, there was like this opening, like a, like a vortex or something appeared and I was trying to go through it and the blue lights and something else interfered. and wouldn't let me go down and go back in time again. And, wow. And she she wasn't, like, you know, people say, well, these hypnosis, she was actually a therapist certified, and she did a lot of work, and even she couldn't explain it. There just, it just, there seems to be a block, even now under hypnosis, that I can't get to where it used to, after that one time. I understand. All right, let's uh,
0: go to a call. Hello there, you're on the air,
2: wherever you are.
8: Hello? Hello. Hi, Art. Hi. John, my name is Mike, and we met in in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, at the uh, uh, UFO conference. It was Linda Howe, it was you, Jim Mars, and I believe Richard Dolan was floating around. We were at a cocktail party in a little little uh, hotel in Eureka Springs, and I came up to you and I said, John... I've had the same experience, 100%, and we started talking, and you were surrounded by by all kinds of people. And then Linda walked by, and I told her, and she wanted to know about my dreams, but the same thing, the party was breaking up, and she was kind of ushered off. And I've been trying to contact you for, I think, six years.
2: Yeah, I I can remember that. That was a good conference. Yeah, I remember that.
8: Do do you remember me, though? Yeah, no, I remember
2: the conversation. Yes, I do.
8: Okay, in 1975, I was stationed in, in Eris Concern in Kirschgerns, Germany, and in the middle of the night, I had a, a flat down on, on the, the street. I had a girlfriend, and I'd, I'd go home, and my job every day was to walk 12 Ks around the, uh, the post with, a, with an M-16 with blanks in it, pretending like we were fighting in the uh, Vietnam uh, Triangle Formation. I was third squad, third platoon. One night, they came to my house, uh, two guys, Hilger and Russo, that's all I know of them, with their M-16s, and they said, Harris or Mike, you've got to come with us right now. This is like 2 in the morning. And I went, whoa. So I, we went back to the post. They each gave us a box of 20 rounds of M-16s and put, said, put it in your, in your ammo pack. And, we, and usually I, dr- I had a drag around the 90, but that night they just gave me the 16, and we went out the gate and we started to do our patrol. About four hours into it, because it took all day. Four hours into it, uh, Sergeant Johnson came over and said, okay, you guys, take 10, and we have your rations, you know, the old-fashioned rations with the cans. Uh, sit down and eat them. So Hilger and I and Russo sat down on this perch, and on the, on the right side was the, the, the base, and on the left side was my flat, my little German apartment. And we were laughing because we were real close, but it was still about two-hour hike, and we had to go through a swamp and then load our blanks and all that kind of stuff. So I opened up a can of scrambled eggs and ham. I know it. And I had a P-38, which is a can opener. And and Russo said, throw it to me. I will use my last name, Mike. So I threw it to him. And all of a sudden, I swear to God, John, and I was telling Linda, I was telling Linda, Linda, I got to tell somebody about this. I wrote an uh, 85,000-word book.
0: Okay, let's go back. All of a sudden, what?
8: Oh, all of a sudden, we hear the whole company, the whole company was out, the whole company, in the middle of the night, first time ever, I was there 15 months, first time ever, with live rounds, not not loaded, but in our backpack, all of a sudden, I, I threw my P-38, and as soon as I did that, as soon as I did that, our, John, as soon as I did that, the people, the whole company was in the swamp. There was a back road and a little trail you had to go down, and, and the place where you unload your blanks, and you're kind of in the swampy area. Anyway, that's about an hour and a half hike in Formation, and
3: uh, yeah, I, I
0: have to take that out. You're going to have to get to the point of your story, sir.
8: We lost an hour and a half. I came yeah. back down the hill. They said they sent up a platoon looking for us, and then we crawled under a bush. I said, no, that didn't happen. I ended up in front in this room with at least 15 brass, and, and they all had, the smallest one was, a, was a, a captain, and the guys on the right of me had these, these portfolios, and they kind of all looked the same, and I had a colonel there, and the other two guys, and I don't know who they are really, except for nicknames, they just pleaded that they didn't know what happened, they got off, and, they, and I wouldn't do it, I said, no, there was no way that we could have been asleep. They said, we sent a platoon after you, my platoon, and you weren't there. I said, there's no way. (laughs) So eventually they kept saying, you have to sign this statement. that I went under a uh, a bush and I wouldn't do it. They said, you can be court-martialed. I said, buddy, I didn't do it.
0: Okay, I I get it. So you had missing time. Um, And you also had missing time, right, John? A quite substantial amount of missing time.
2: Well, the first night... Um, 45 minutes. Um, and when we came back in, our watches were 45 minutes slow, but they actually did have, they did not have, they could not account for where we were where radio contact or anything for 45 minutes. Just gone. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you have to look at it from that standpoint. We went out in the forest and for 45 minutes, they couldn't raise us on the radio and they didn't know what happened to us. <laughs>
0: All right, on Skype, Benson, you're on the air with John Burroughs. Hello.
2: I said, hey, what's up, Art?
0: Uh, you're up. <laughs> I just wanted to ask John a question. I've been listening in and on, on and off tonight and kind of working around the house and whatnot, but um, I was wondering if he ever recalled, like, what beings he encountered or what he encountered out there. We've been describing that all evening. Um. He, again it the only thing you recalled consciously
2: were lights right correct it, it was lights it was like an oval orangey shaped light you know with other lights within it and yeah i never saw a craft or could describe a craft but the uh, two other people that were with me actually did yes and under hypnosis
0: uh you then recalled actually that's the part where I'd love. It. I wish we had that tape. I wish we could actually listen to it. I'm sure you've listened to it many
2: times, right? Well, yeah, that 10-minute clip. I've listened to it several times. Yes, the whole tape, a few times, but the 10-minute clip. It's very, it's very move, moving. And it goes into the part with the interaction with Colonel Hall and the telepathic lights and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you say you want to get back together again with the others involved in this. You really right. want to do that? Think it's yeah, I,
2: I'd love, I just think it would be really good for all of us and, and, and anyone else that was on the fringes like that one guy I asked that saw something or knows something. Mm-hmm. I just think it would be really nice to get us all together and sit down and go over everything.
0: Are there things that you would discuss with them that you're unable to discuss in a forum like this on the air?
2: Oh Yeah, I would definitely, <laughs> you know, depending on how the conversation went and stuff, I would be more open probably with certain people than others, yes.
0: I see. I wonder what I could do to get you to tell us what you have not yet told us. I just, I can feel it. There are any number of things that you haven't told us. Um, all right, John, hold tight. Our public number, 952-225-5278. Otherwise... Skype on in.
1: Requirement to kiss Art's ring. Just good talk. Join Art by calling 1952-225-5278. That's 1952-Call Art. We're talking about the Rindlesham incident.
0: And our guest is John Burroughs, the only one who was there all three days of that incident. He feels that he's gonna see them again. It's quite an interview. If you have a question for John, uh, area code 952 225 5278 and of course Skype. I there's something I want you to hear a little bit of because it's really odd sounding. Really is odd sounding. Uh it's John under hypnosis. Uh and I want to well, I want to make sure to ask John, you don't mind if I play a little of this, do you?
2: No, no, go right ahead.
0: Okay, good. This, this would be John under hypnosis. It's uh, wild.
3: We
5: started getting nervous. We really like, them. what are we getting into? I don't know what's going on. We don't know. The radio keeps coming back. We can't reach us for a while. We can't reach them. We're getting real nervous. We're getting scared. We can't get on the radio. We, might, we can't go much farther if they don't hear us on the radio no more because we don't like what's going on. Uh, Tom Pennison, Tom Pennison, what do you think? I don't know, I don't know. Um, um, Stop, stop right now. Stop right now. Let's try to reach him on the radio. Okay, we've got him. We've got him. Um, Yeah, it's still there. It it seems to be in the clearing. It seems to be in that clearing up ahead. Um, Can we go far farther? Yes, yes, go on farther. Find out what's going on. Find out what's going on. Let's go, guys. Look, look, look at that. There it is hit the ground, hit the ground. We, we, I run, I run. We die, I die. Shoot, John, shoot, shoot. I can't, I can't, I don't have my gun. Who's telling you to shoot? Sergeant Tennyson. I don't have my gun, I don't have my gun. They told me not to bring it. Yes, they did, they told you at the last minute to bring it. Describe what it is he wants you to shoot at. Light, light, a weird oval shaped light. It's, it's hovering, it's hovering, it's hovering, it's, it's Flashing back and forth, flashing on a white the It's white, but it's but but there's there's lights below it, there's little lights below it, there's the orange lights, there's the red lights. it's like sun, it's like the sun, but it's not shaped like the sun. It's like it's like an oval shaped thing, and it's pulsating, it's pulsating. How far away is it? Ten feet. Maybe fifteen. How big is it? I don't know. It it, it keeps changing, it keeps changing. changing it's it's hard, hard. the light the lights are pulsating, it's hard to judge, it's hard to judge. It's there. It's there now. It's moving back. It's moving back. It's moving back. Away from you. It's moving away. It's moving. It's up. It's up in the air. It's up in the air. Oh, it's wow. moving back. It's moving back. It's up through the trees. It's moving back. It's moving. Back. Not in the distance, but it's there. Downloading. How did he get through the tree? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll follow. Call, him, call him. Tell him, tell him, tell him. We're going to follow. We got to follow. Him. I can't reach him on the radio. The hell with the radio. Put it down. We don't need it. Put it in your ho Put it in your pocket. Let's go. Let's go. We don't care what they say. We've got to find out. Something's there. We've got to find out. Let's go. Spread out. Spread out more. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Move. Move. Okay. Be careful. Be careful.
3: Wow.
5: I feel weird. I feel. I feel. I feel. I feel, feel tingling. I feel tingly. We all feel tingly. We all we all got to know. We got to know. We got to know. Is it a UFO, John? I don't know. I don't know. What is the UFO? What is it? I don't know. It, it's not real. It's light. It's not an object. It does not appear to be a solid, total object. It just appears like it could be an object because it, it, gives, the, it gives the impression of an object, but it's mostly light. It's all light. It seems like light to me. A, shape it's a made thing. of light. Yes, a shape made of light.
0: All right, so I'm going to stop there. People can listen to it on their own uh, further than that if they like, but, man, that was odd stuff, John. It sounds, your voice sounds almost, I I don't know what the right word is, manic. uh, Very, very different.
2: Well, yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah.
0: Manic is, and and you were told to shoot at it, you said.
2: Well, there there was a little discrepancy. that's when I said the three of us have different memories. Um, I guess at one point that there was a discussion that I wasn't involved with where I was supposedly going to be cleared to take my sidearm with me. Penniston knew about it, but I, I wasn't briefed. Now, the interesting thing was that came under hypnosis. Now, Kabansak has said, and he's done an interview, he said when we got close to it, I actually drew my weapon and then we all blacked out. Wow. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't remember taking my weapon with me, but that's what I'm saying. There's some things that just you can't account for. You can't
0: make yes, sense uh, of it. The, the, the pace and the tone of your voice in that was just incredible to me. Just incredible. Um, let's go to the phones. I think Omaha, oh. Nebraska.
10: Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, great, great show, Art. Yes, and thank John. You. Yeah, question uh, regarding uh, kind of future happenings and stuff. Out of curiosity, with does polar shift ha- fit into the future stuff, John?
0: I'm sorry, I didn't hear what does he what? asked about a, oh. a if a pole shift is in the offing. I as if you maybe you know.
2: It it, that, it really didn't say under my hypnosis. It didn't say that, um, but it did make it clear that whatever we're doing which has nothing to do with nuclear weapons, but it had to do with EM fields and frequencies would affect mankind. So when you say a pole shift, I mean, I suppose if we did something bad enough to the frequencies, it could affect the poles itself, which I know that Hmm. there's a lot of speculation out there that they're shifting as we talk.
4: Yeah, because
10: did you see that documentary of chasing ice by chance?
0: No, I didn't. Actually, the pole is drifting towards Siberia. The the magnetic north is drifting. We know that.
10: Yeah. Yeah. What happened in this documentary, they showed it. They caught it. But there was a chunk the size of Manhattan Island that slipped. It had broke off and it slipped. But they showed, comparatively speaking, it was the size of Manhattan Island.
0: You know, I wonder... uh, There are a lot of people uh, right now feeling um, a sort of a mass, what's the right word for it? Uh, There's been this building thing, for example, about this month, September, uh, John, and uh, masses of people are worried about extinction-level events and all kinds of things. I, I wonder if somehow... It's all related. I, I, uh, we go through these cycles every now and then when a lot of people seem to get disturbed about something they feel is coming. This is one of those times. We're we're certainly in it right now. There really are. I know people, John, packing their wives and their children up in cars and taking off to areas that they
2: feel are safe. Right, right. There, there There's no doubt that Something's going on. We, You can go back to, was it 2000? Was it 12 when everybody was, you know, concerned then? Um, this feels that, even bigger than that. I, I can't argue that, that there is even a bigger shift going on. Um, that's when you ask me, like, there's so much that I've learned that I've had given to me that I, I've come across. and. I, I, I honestly, and, and this is the one time, you know, all these doomsdayers, if it happens, we're all screwed. I just don't think this is the moment in time where a lot of that could happen. Do I, do I have a feeling that something's going on? Yes. Do I think that things are going to change? I, I do, but I, I don't. I can't put my finger on that I think this is the month where everything falls completely apart. Okay, well,
0: here here is a question for you, then. Maybe you can answer an overall question. In other words, do you feel that these entities, these creatures, these aliens, whatever they were, are basically here to help us, here to investigate us, or here to do something not so good to us? (laughs)
2: Well, I can, again, I want to reiterate, this is hypnosis now, not what I remember. Two things stood out in it. They were here to monitor us. They were going to do their best not to interfere. But if it came at a certain point, I think they, I could only tell you what it appears to be on the hypnosis tape. They had an idea of what went on and what went wrong in the future that brought them back to this time frame to go forward then to alter what happens to keep it from affecting the future like it did that's the best i can tell you so it appears that whatever they're trying to do is to not destroy mankind but to help mankind
0: okay boy i hope you're right about that uh let's go to Newburgh, new york on the phone hello
11: hey there are glad to hear you back on the air yes glad to be back on the air thank you oh indeed love your show john um You'll be delighted to know this in a certain respect, is that uh, on December 26, 1980, I was stationed uh, at your, and you know this base, RAF Chick Sands.
2: Yep, Chick it, where the DIA was located at. That is
11: correct. And I worked for an art, um, this base where I was stationed, it was a top secret facility and... This is what I wanted to say to John, is that everything you are saying makes 100% sense because I was working uh, that evening, uh, midnight shift. I was off for Christmas. Three years I spent to TDY in England. I did not have to work Christmas. I remember this very clearly. That evening, we had incredible activity, amazing activity. Really? And yes, it was It was unbelievable and we what, what kind of this.
0: excuse me what kind of activity
11: without disclosing top secret information obviously it's uh as john has been mentioning he said the danger are uh, a frequency radio frequency and all that good stuff well that was part of our job to do that in that realm so he is correct in the sense that what we are doing in the um you know with messing with uh, frequencies and whatnot electronic frequency yes it is it is disturbing the uh uh, however you want to call it our well-being for the future Um, and it's very complicated and it's very hard to try to explain but he is correct he is very correct that evening was buzzing with activity activity meaning um, electronic uh, in electronic surveillance and activity was very, very, um, very busy. Very cute. And you very were busy. working you the all elephant cage that
2: this. night, weren't you?
11: Yes, I was. Okay. Yes, I was. Right. Not an SP. Now you're in, you're AF. No, you're I know
2: exactly. SP. But the yeah. elephant cage is is what they had there. It was in San yeah, Diego and correct. some other places. And eventually, it went from that size down to just a little radar.
11: That is correct. That that is correct. Yes, and what you are saying—the two things you are saying about how we, in fact, you know, messing the air with uh, frequencies and whatnot, bringing about problems—and secondly, the fact that Art asked you, "Well, you know, are these guys really? You know, maybe are they devious? Are they you know, do hurt us or they want to help us?" Yes. It's pretty much, Arthur, curious, as John, it's a curiosity, like John said. Like, if we got so advanced, like Interstellar, uh, the movie, if we got so advanced another, say, a 1,000 years, from now, we were able to do these things, we would be curious, kind of hide-and-seek with them and trying to find out about them. And I think that's basically what they're trying to do. They really don't want to hurt us, but they know something's up. And I'll, I'll, I'll last thing I'll say is that today, NASA just announced that this was the warmest summer in world mm. history, and by a far wider margin than any time in history the change is beginning and it's beginning uh, it's exponential now it's it's out of control so john is correct when he said 2018 to 22 that is about right
0: oh you know that's interesting i had not heard that proclamation from nasa but i'm not surprised uh we've been it's getting cool warmest records warmest records warmest records yep. so this is just yet another one and uh, yes. i wonder how close to the break point we are
11: it's now irreversible, sadly. I wish I did not say it because I have three grandchildren, um, but my goodness. It, well, no, no that's quite you a going? statement
0: to make. How do you know it's irreversible? Even I worry that could be the case. I'm just wondering how you know.
11: I have a friend who's at the uh, National Weather Service. He's a uh, meteorologist there for many, many years. This fella not only predicted Katrina, but he keeps sending me emails, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and and he's never been wrong. And I'm saying, wait a minute, whoa, don't my grandkids have a chance here? Give me some good news. His bottom line is that because of the record-breaking volcanic activity for the past two years, man-made emissions are not cutting back, and some are trying but not enough, and so on and so forth. He said it's just overwhelming now that it will be irreversible but then what will happen is it will then level out but by 2050 it will peak and then it'll start to level out but the damage by 2050 20 he said will be horrific absolutely horrific and that's not good because that upsets me personally
2: because of my family
0: that's me for the same reason um yeah
2: does that does that sort of resonate john it, yeah, it does. Art. And, and the interesting thing, what he talked about, there was Cobra mist was out there before and it got shut down because of inline interference. So there was also some stuff going on with that. But Art, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago, I used to listen to your show at night. Mm-hmm. You had a guy come on and it had to do with your movie. He was a scientist that said this was all going to happen.
3: Oh, yeah. And eventually
2: we're going to go into an ice age. Well,
0: I I don't know. The the climate is under rapid change. I'm sure what the caller said is correct. NASA probably made some kind of proclamation about the warmest uh, ever on record. We've heard so many of those. Um, But, yeah, uh, that prediction was made, and it is all coming true. And I am very concerned for the same reason I guess we all are. I have a daughter. I
2: I don't think, though, it has to do that much with mankind itself. I think it has to do with where we're going through the Great Rift right now and some of the things that happens that's happened in history before where we heat up and then it cools back off again. So do I think that mankind's (laughs) expedited it? Probably because of what we've done. But we've gone through this same thing before in history where we didn't have this kind of emissions from mankind, too. So...
0: It's true. Well, look, we're getting now near the end of the program. We're almost done. Uh, there must be something you would like to say to everybody, John. It's it's an honor, first of all, to have you on the air. Big honor. Uh, but is there anything you want to leave people with?
2: Well, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I, I, I do believe we're going through some rough times, and I do believe things are going to get hard for us. I do think mankind still has the ability to turn it around, but we're going to have to do it collectively, not divided, divide and conquer. Um, also, Art, you asked me about certain things. Well, I've been kicking around doing a book that's science fiction in nature, but it'll be based on a true story with the names changed and some stuff. So I may put something out sooner than later that'll maybe help understand some things. But the interesting thing's just in the last five months, stuff that I thought I was going to have to really try to go deep into science fiction-wise is actually starting to happen. So, when
0: when you write a book, if you write a book, and uh, it's science fiction, we should read carefully between the lines for what you may know that you're putting in.
2: Not only that, but also the names and stuff that will be changed. I have to protect certain people that have came forward to me.
0: Alright, my friend. Well, look, thank
2: you for being here. It's Thanks for honor. having me on again, Art. Take care. Take care. You too.
0: I wanted... Uh, the real thing on Rendlesham, and so there you have it, from John Burroughs. They're all three nights. Okay, well, listen, if I didn't say it earlier, I say it again. I'm going to take the night off tomorrow night. There'll be a repeat. Spend a three-day weekend with my family. All of you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, Friday and weekend, and I'll see you on Monday from the high desert. Good night. Good night.